Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. Uh, somebody has to go to Malibu for a few days for their 27th anniversary and sit on a sit on a deck and overlook the ocean for a few days with your bride. So I said, all right, I'll do it. I heard Bob was off the hook last week, huh? Yeah, he's been a revivalist forever and ever. He was one of the one of the facilitators, one of the pioneers of the Jesus movement. That's why I asked him to come and preach to stir it up. We're going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit this morning, but uh, we like to say that we are not an information church. We are a demonstration church. In other words, if all we do is teach about the power of God, but you never experience it, what do we have? A dead religion, right? And so the Bible is a book of encounters, manifestations, the power and presence of God from cover to cover. And it has not ended. Can I hear an amen? amen? Okay, so before I jump into my message today, I want to ask Pastor Mark, who uh, uh, went down to Guadalajara. He's in the middle of a revival down there. And he is one of the key people in that revival. Uh, uh, Mark and I went up to Bethel Church. Our team went up a few years ago, a number of years ago. Mark his desire is, was, is, was at that time was to retire and sail on Elliott Bay, right, up in uh, Vancouver. Is that where that is? Yeah, sail the Gulf Island. Sail the Gulf Yeah, that's what he planned on doing. And so we were up at Bethel Church up in Reading, and Bill Johnson laid hands on, on both of us. When he laid hands on Mark, Mark fell out under the power of God, and, and the Lord said to him, the next 20 years of your life are not going to be the same as the last 20 years. So Mark's thinking, oh, my boat's going to be bigger, sailing's going to be better, but no, he's using Mark more now in uh, ministry around the world than he ever has in all the years of his ministry. So I just want to give you a little taste, and then Mark in a couple of weeks will tell you more about what God did down in uh, Mexico. Mark, why don't you come on up and share a little bit about just the little the flight you took down there, and you told me the story this yeah, the morning. The flight I took down there was really interesting. Uh, went to Guadalajara for nine days, did 25 meetings, um, and uh, I'll tell some more stories another time, but they were expecting me to do a lot of prophetic ministry down there, which is always risky. Risking that you're hearing from God correctly is always risky. So I got on the airplane and I said to the Lord, I, I really want uh, much more accurate words on this trip and more of them. So would you please do that? It was, uh, Valeris was the flight down, and they charge you an extra $5 to have a window seat or an aisle seat. And I just find that offensive, so I got mad. I'm not paying $5 for that, so I sit in the middle. Okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. You just have to understand. When Mark and I met 25 years ago, the first thing he said to me was, you just met the cheapest man alive. <laughs> and it's true, and somebody said to me yesterday, you're the cheapest person I've ever met. And Mark said, thank you. And I did. I, I said, stop <laughs> flattering me. <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm sitting in the middle, and I'm minding my own business, listening to my iTunes, and um, just having a real peaceful time. And there's a, about a 40-year-old woman sitting on this side and a 40-year-old woman sitting on this side. And as I'm, as I'm listening to my songs, all these thoughts start coming about the woman on my right. And I'm thinking, oh, this is probably the Lord. I wish I hadn't asked for this. <laughs> Awkward moments on airplanes. There's nothing worse. 
So, so uh, we, ta- we landed, we started a taxi. I thought, well, I guess I just have to do it. So I leaned over and I said, do you speak English? She said, yes. I said, I know this sounds odd, but sometimes God gives me his thoughts for people. And I think he's giving me his thoughts for you. Would you like to hear them? And she said, yes. And I said, well, they're not good. And she said, okay, go ahead. And I said, well, he's showing me that you're a control freak. And you control everything and everyone around you. And, and, and it's, it's gotten to the point where you're just out of control and, and you're frightened by it. And um, you think you'll get peace and, and joy that you're looking for from being in control in your life. But, but it's not working. And you're really getting desperate. And she was shocked. And she said, yeah, that's me. And I said, well, I think the Lord says that you're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to come to him and let him take over control because you can't do it, and it's never going to give you peace or joy. And she was really touched. And then I went back to my tunes, and the woman over here said, she, she'd listened to the whole thing. She said, you have a gift. And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, I hear God's thoughts for people sometimes. And she said, that's, that's really interesting. And the Lord whispered in my ear, do it to her. So I turned to her and I said, are, are you interested in knowing God's thoughts for you? And she said, yes. And I said, well, give me a minute. I need, I need, to, be, I need to listen. So I, I stilled down and quieted, and, and this is what the Lord said. I said to her, you've had a series of very bad broken relationships, not just your romantic ones, but your friendships as well. Uh, and you no longer trust anyone. And your world is growing smaller and smaller very quickly it will just be you. And I said, this is no, the Lord says he doesn't want you to live this way. And uh, you've lost your trust in, in people. But if you'll trust him and get to know him, he'll restore your trust. And then he'll help you with your relationships. And she was shocked. And she said, that's me you're talking about. And this woman said, yeah, he did the same thing to me. <laughs> and I felt wonderful. And then she said, can I talk to you about my daughter? Uh, and I said, yeah. And she said, she's been diagnosed with a mental illness, and they don't know what to do. And there's nothing the doctors can do for her. I said, where do you live? And she said, San Diego. And I said, well, I'm going to be back in three Sundays. So why don't you bring your daughter to church? And uh, we'll, we have very powerful people at our church who will pray for her. Maybe God will heal her. She said, you would do that for me? I said, yeah. She said, why? I said, well, because it's the business we're in. <laughs> and God loves you, and he wants to help you. So if you want to come, we'll do our best for her. And she was thrilled. Hasn't shown up, but the welcome mat is out. And then last Sunday, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, I spoke at the big church, and uh, 19 people got saved Amen. that Sunday. It's awesome thing going on down there. Really awesome, awesome Thank thing. you, Mark. What is, what do you think is the most powerful thing in the world? Just shout it out. What do you think is the most powerful thing in the world? (laughs) Anybody else? All right, I guess you don't need me to preach this today then because (laughs) I just had 10 people say God's love. Love is the most powerful thing on earth. Uh, I was listening to the radio once, and I thought, I'm going to count uh, how many times 
the songs are about love. Thirteen in a row were about love. Love is the most powerful thing. Imagine, just think about how much money you spend when love is motivating you. I remember when Hope and I were long distance dating. She was in Louisiana. I was here in San Diego. And, uh, you know, that's when you had to pay per minute. Right? As a single guy that doesn't have any prospects and all of a sudden, wham, there she is. My phone bill went from like $20 a month, like $400 a month. <laughs> Love is a powerful thing. My wife and I are watching the Netflix series, The Crown, about the royal family. King Edward, for love, gave up the throne. Oh my gosh. Love is powerful. And if you've seen uh, my wife's fa- Facebook page, the two, do- the two documentaries that just dropped last week, uh, the number one news station in Vietnam uh, followed my wife and my son Sam, my other son Elliot, around Vietnam as Sam was reunited with his biological family in Vietnam. Um, you, can, you can catch that. Uh, go to my wife's Facebook page, uh, Hope Cantu Ator, and you can watch. They're like 14 minutes apiece. And make sure you have your tissues ready because you will cry. It's such a powerful story of Jesus' love for one baby that would not have survived. Jesus appeared to my wife in a dream and told her where to go rescue. I just went along for the ride. I didn't know anything about it. She didn't even tell me until this was on the finger, right? But I was thrilled to be along for the ride. As my wife says, we got a front row seat to a miracle. What was Jesus' motivation for moving on us to rescue Winlay home from Saigon? Anybody know? Love. Love is the most powerful thing on the planet. You were made from love. You were made for love. And you were made to give love. We don't do well without love. We don't function well. When you are not loved well, when you are not loved properly as a child, you do not do well as an adult. Until the love of Christ comes, fills up your heart, and begins to heal those wounded places. It's the love of God that casts out all fear. Can I hear it? Amen. amen. The last time I spoke to you all, I talked about the who, the what, the where, and the when of the power of God. Who gets to operate in the power of God? Everybody. Everybody. What do you get to operate in? Not just miracles, but as I taught on unusual miracles. The kingdom of God is so powerful, they have to categorize certain miracles as unusual miracles. So it's like miracles 2.0. Where do we get to experience these miracles? How about right here? And when do we get to experience them? right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Everybody say now. But today I want to talk to you about the why behind these miracles. Why did the Holy Spirit give Pastor Mark words of knowledge? That's what the biblical terminology for what Mark operated in was a word of knowledge, knowledge and prophecy. That's information you get spontaneously in the moment from the Holy Spirit for another person. And so why did Jesus, the Holy Spirit, do that for the te- to, to the ladies to the right and left of him. What was the motivation? Love. Love. The motivation for the gifts of the Spirit is love. Now, there are three 
primary reason biblically that God does miracles today. And here's the most amazing thing. The acronym for these three spelled GPC. That's how you know that you're in the right church today. Yeah, huh? The first one is for the glory of God. When uh, in, in um, John chapter 11, when Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus died, Jesus said to them, if you will believe, what? You will see the glory of God. Some people take that passage and they talk about Lazarus' sickness and they say, see, God can get glory out of your sickness. That's not what that was talking about at all. He can get glory depending on how we uh, walk through suffering, our attitude and our worship and all that. Like Job, I will praise him anyway. But that is not what God does not get glory out of sickness. The glory he was talking about was raising Lazarus from the dead. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So the first reason that God does miracles is for his own glory, to shine light on him. The glory of God, that's the G. The second one is uh, to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. In the book of Acts chapter 2, it says, Jesus was proved to you to be the Son of God by signs, miracles, and wonders. So when you lay hands on somebody, they get healed, or you prophesy, or what like with Mark on the plane, he's able to then say, Jesus is the one who just gave me that information for you, right? It proves that he is alive. And the third reason was one I want to drill down on today is compassion. See what I did there, GPC? Compassion. The compassion of God is the reason that he heals, saves, and delivers today. The Bible says God's, God so loved the world. I mean, who would love the world in its condition? God. Because God is love. God's love, I'm going to teach about this just a little bit today, but God's love is not like our love. Because our love is responsive. I love you because you are so lovable today. Right? I love you because the way you treat me. I love you because you're beautiful. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love green carpet. Right? We just love because there's... Because... (laughs) I have somebody saying, you need to back that up, Pastor. That was... You should never put those three things together in the same sentence. Sorry, honey. But see, we just, we, we're, but we're responsive to things that are lovely. God loves the unlovely. Just look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you right now. Just go ahead and say, he's talking about you right now. God loves the unlovely because God is love. Jesus was in a situation where John the Baptist, his cousin, was just beheaded by King Herod. And Jesus wants to get away for a little while. You would too, right? He needs to grieve. And it says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was greatly annoyed. And said, I just need some space. I need some me time. No, what did it say? What's it say? Say it out loud. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in the Bible, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul lists the what. What are the gifts of the Spirit? Then in 1 Corinthians 14, he lists the how. How to operate in the gifts of the Spirit in a public worship service to the Corinthian church. He's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. Right in the middle of these two chapters of what and how is the why. And that's the love chapter. Because he's writing to a church that was using the gifts of the Spirit uh, selfishly and divisively and for notoriety. They were bringing their social uh, status from the Corinthian culture or the San Diego culture. The Corinthian, Corinth and San Diego are very much the same in, uh, in culture, in commerce, in, uh, in, in uh, values. And they were bringing, there was classism, and they were bringing this classism into their church. And they were wearing their gifts of the Spirit as badges of superiority. And so Paul had to write to them saying, you need to understand Gathering Place Church. You need to understand every church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand that the motivation for operating in the power of God is love. So let's pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the end, going into the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But earnestly desire and strive for the greater gifts if acquiring them is going to be your goal. And yet, everybody say yet. Yet. And yet I will show you a still more excellent way, one of the choicest choicest graces and the highest of them all, unselfish love. Now, the word unselfish love, I'm going to grab my water here real quick as the cameraman tries to follow me. (laughs) I'll check that later, see how well he did. (laughs) The word unselfish love there, there's two words together, is really really redundant. Because true love is unselfish. In fact, the opposite of love is lust. Lust is always benefits self at the expense of others. Now, we think about lust, and we use the word lust, we think sexual lust, which it applies in that, that area as well, that I just want to extract from you something from my pleasure. That's not love. Love is I want to please you. Lust is I want to be pleased, and I will use you to do it. You can also lust for money. That's called greed. You can also lust for power and position. That produces tyranny. You see, whenever you're lusting after something, it's for self-gratification, and it's at the expense of others around you. And so you can be in positions that are uh, political positions. You can be in uh, uh, positions of power monetarily, a parent, a coach, a pastor. If you're operating out of me, 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 you're going to hurt people. You're going to use people because you're not operating out of love. Love, on the other hand, always benefits others at the expense of self. Love is always thinking about how are my words, my attitudes, and my actions affecting those around me. Love is always others-centered. This is the most amazing thing about the gospel. 
If you were God, and you created the world and the human race, and you saw the way we all behave down here, and you are God, I mean, you can't even handle somebody cutting you off from the freeway. Could you imagine being God? Well, that's the gospel, Ron. That's what's so crazy. This God that created us, and we are so, so filled with selfishness and lust and greed and jealousies and covetousness and, and wrath and unforgiveness and arrogance. Here's the arrogance. Well, God, I know you saved me from going to hell, but what have you done for me lately? That attitude is pervasive in Christianity, especially in America, because we're a consumer culture. We are, we're, a, we're a product of our environment. I was talking to someone recently, and I, they, they said, yeah, I don't really pray much anymore. And I said, why not? And he said, because God doesn't answer my prayers. He hasn't, he hasn't really done anything for me lately. When's the last thing he did something for me? And I said to this person, you do know, you do remember that he did save you from burning in hell. And you know what this person said? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> but we do. Because we think that God is here to serve us. And here's the crazy thing. He does. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, to serve, but to be served. Our God, who created us and the way we treat Him, loves us so much, He became one of us, served us by healing and salvation and deliverance, then died for us at excruciating, tormenting death, absorbed our sin into His holy body, took it to hell, broke the power of death, hell, and the grave, then rose from the dead. And we say, go ahead, come on. Then we say, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Woo! Mercy. We just lose sight of what is. Because we're selfish by our fallen nature. It's me, 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 me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. That's just how, you know, we have, we have to fight against this natural tendency to it being all about me. Rather than, <laughs> woo, it's all about him. And what you did for me when I didn't deserve it. That is Christianity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you would just dangle us all over hell just for five seconds. It would change all of our attitudes. Here's the reality. I want you to fill in the blank here. I want you to fill in the blank here. Power without love is what? Fill in the blank. Power without love is corrupt. Anarchy. Dangerous. Control, huh? Pride, it's it's pointless, it's cruel. If you have political power, but you're not there to serve the people, you're there to serve yourself, I know we've never seen that, but just imagine people that are in places of political power that are not there to truly serve their constituents, but to serve their position. A pastor 
I was actually under a pastor who was all about himself. It was painful. It took about a year for me to be healed from that kind of spiritual abuse. Where when a pastor is in a, a, a position of spiritual influence, power, and you are using people for your own purposes, um, it's, it's spiritual abuse. When you have wealth and you are about getting more, right? Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. And there's people all around you that are suffering and in need, and you have the power to help, but you don't. And you extract, and you don't pay your employees right, and you, you're cheating on your taxes, and you're just greedy, and you're covetous, and you're, it's me, 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 it's my more, 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 more. And it hurts people. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the needy. Parents have power. And if it's not about your children and serving them and sacrificing for them, become the greatest human beings possible, but it's about me and my power and my control. You see, power without love is brutal. But what is love without power? Fill that blank in. What's love without power? Powerless, yeah. Useless. Weakness. Ineffective. I call it utter frustration. When you see somebody suffering physically with a disease or sickness, you see somebody poor and they can't pay their bills, they can't pay their doctor bills. You see these orphans that are under regimes that don't care about them and they, there's no one to help them. You try to adopt from certain nations and they won't even let you adopt. They won't take care of their own, but they won't let you adopt them either. When you see oppression and suffering and pain and your heart goes out, but you don't have the power to do anything about it. What does God have? Love or power? Say it out loud. Come on. Both. That's what's so awesome about our God. He's the God of love and he's the God of unlimited power. And he's given both of those things to us, his church. Come on, somebody. Somebody's preaching today. I need a couple amens going on around here. He gave us his love and he gave us his power. We just need to make sure we're doing both of them together all the time. Man, how blessed are we to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the love of God and the power of God. Look at this. Well, you say, well, how? How? How does this happen in my life? How does this happen in our church? How do I experience the love of God like you're talking about? Like this supernatural love that would come down from heaven to serve a corrupt people. What kind of love is that? We're dying to cross. What about this power you're talking about? How do I access this supernatural power? What series are we in? Holy Spirit. Look what the Bible says in first, Second Timothy. For God did not give us a spirit. Everybody say spirit. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of, say it, power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. That means you don't just pop off in a church service. That's what the Corinthians were doing. 
You know, I've been to charismatic circles. Charismatic meaning the word comes from the word Greek word charis, which means uh, charisma or uh, the gifts of the Spirit. I've been to charismatic circles a long time, and many charismatics think that if you operate in structure and organ, organization and administration, you're quenching the Spirit. When actually the gift of administration is listed in 1 Corinthians 12, right with the apostles, the prophets, healings, administrations, tongues, interpretation of tongues, administrations is right in the middle. Because if you have raw power and there's no structure and no system to it, it's dangerous. And so, like in our church, if you feel you have a prophetic word, you come to Mark, you come to me, you come to one of the leaders, and you say, I feel like I have something for, uh, from the Lord for the body, and then we discern if we believe that's true or not, and then when it should fit into the... That's what, that's what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. Let, he, says, let, he said, they came short in no gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he opens up by saying, this church has come short in no supernatural gift. Then he says, but don't let more than two or three of you prophesy, and then do it in turn. And the rest of the church will discern whether that was from the Lord or not. And then he says, because God is not the author of confusion. Then he says, but don't forbid to speak in tongues. He said, do all things decently and in order, and don't forget to, forbid to speak in tongues. So in other words, we do all things. We just do them decently and in order. So those who are uber-structured and get freaked out when anything spontaneous happens, you're covered. And for those of you that love spontaneity and you hate structure, you're covered. We get to do all of it. We just do it all decently and in order. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 How many times, Mark, have you and I have been accused of quenching the Holy Spirit over the last 25 years of, of ministry <clears throat> because we actually have structure? I got healed and I can't remember those things. <laughs> Mark has been through spiritual abuse healing, so he can't remember what I'm talking about. This compassion of God is why, if you see me come across maybe a little bit with righteous anger when I talk about this, there's, I just, I am so gripped with, I don't know what the right word is. I'm grieved. That's the right word. I'm grieved that it is taught in Christian circles that the gifts of the spirit have ceased. That is so mean spirited. Are people still suffering? Are people still lost? Are people still demon-possessed and oppressed and harassed and tormented? That teaching ignores the compassion of God. And why, pray tell, does the devil get to continue to operate in supernatural power, but the Holy Spirit, through His church, doesn't? Just last week, uh, Pastor Mark, or a couple weeks ago, no, I think it was uh, uh, um, April and Dennis were prophesying over a visitor. They went back to their church, and I don't say this to be divisive. It comes across that way. It can seem that way. Uh, we just have to parse out this particular teaching as I talk about another church and another pastor, because we're all the body of Christ. Yeah. We all know in part. We all prophesy in part. We all, you know, have a part of it. And none of us are absolutely right. So I'm talking about this particular topic in the body of Christ, which is operating the supernatural power of God. And those who teach that that stopped when the last apostle died, which I've refuted biblically throughout this series. You can go back and listen or watch the messages. But this person 
who's been taught that these things passed away, was up here in our prayer line a few weeks ago and uh, wanted to be prayed for, which is an awesome thing. Dennis and April prophesied over this person. The prophecies were so specific and accurate about what's going on in your life, what God's doing in your life, what you're feeling in your life, who's in your life. I mean, just literally read the person's news. The person goes back to his pastor, tells him what happened, and they said, well, they were just, that, that was just, you know, they just made that stuff up. And he goes, but how could it have been so accurate? And this is what the pastor told him. Well, they're operating under the demonic powers to manipulate you so that you will go with them. And then they said, and it, besides, it's, the gifts of the Spirit just aren't logical. I'll probably end up, you know, meeting the pastor at some point, and I'll say, hi, brother. I have, I have developed relationships. I have a word for you. I've developed relationships uh, with pastors all throughout our city that are what's called cessationists, now that they believe that the gifts ceased. And I've become friends with them. So I don't say this pejoratively. I don't say this with superiority at all. I say it with with utter frustration that we have the we have we're supposed to have the compassion of god but not the power of god not going to do it so paul goes into first corinthians chapter 13 1 through 13 by the way, Dennis and April, I don't believe you're demon-possessed. I just want to say that publicly. I just want to say publicly. Yeah, I think you guys are operating. No, you guys are all right in my book. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Paul says this, speaking to this church that was operating the power of God without the love of God. And he says this, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love for others grown out of God's love for me, then I have become only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Just an annoying distraction. How many of you want to be an annoying distraction in the body of Christ? Just raise your hand. That's my goal, to be an annoying distraction. Some of you are already there, but... Not to me. I don't know who you are, but I've heard. And if I have the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God to the person to the right of me and the person to the left of me on an airplane and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have all sufficiency, faith, so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love reaching out to others, I am, say it out loud, church. Wow. That's not vague or ambiguous, is it? If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, meaning being martyred for Jesus, but do not have love, it does me no good at all. How could you give all your money away to the poor and sacrifice your body to be burned for your faith but not have love? There are many other motivations. Pride, glory, self-glory, 
trying to earn credit with God for your sacrifices. It's not love. Only love makes these sacrifices worthwhile. And then he goes on to talk about love. And this is where we're all going to get an F. So we're on the same boat, so don't get depressed. Here we go. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Now, mind you, as we read this passage and we all start grading ourselves or someone we know, I want to I be clear that we are not talking about human love right now. Everybody just take a deep breath. and whew. He's describing right now the love of God. It is a supernatural transcendent love this love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered this is why i think the teachings about how to be easily offended these days is destroying the human race the Bible talks, teaches just the opposite of being offended. We have moved from overlooking an offense, which is what the Bible teaches, which is what love does, to looking for them. We call them microaggressions. I, I got my magnifying glass out, and I'm looking for any possible offense coming my way, and I'm going to make you pay for it. That is not love. However, it's being sold as compassion. But it's really a trick of the enemy to rip people apart. Because I don't know how to relate to you because you're looking for me to offend you in some way, shape, or form, and I probably will. And you're not that lovely either. So I'm looking, I'm, I'm watching you to make sure you don't offend me. And you're watching me to make sure I don't offend you. And we're going to. And so then we just have this, we're trying to one-up each other on the offense scale. Should we be careful not to offend people if you have love in your heart? Yeah, certainly. I mean, only a jerk would go around offending people and not caring about it. Remember, love is always thinking about how are my actions, my words, my behavior affecting those around me. That's love. But love is not saying, I'm watching to see how you might offend me. Love's not doing that. Love absorbs offenses. Love overlooks offenses. Love covers a multitude of sin. Come on, church. That's why this is the greatest hour for us with this philosophy that's permeating the world. It's the greatest moment for us because Jesus says the world will know you're my disciples by what? How you love one another. In other words, somebody could offend you mercilessly and you somehow just forgive. People are like, how could you? Like, then not it? Chap your hide when a friend of yours is offended and you take on their offense, but then they forgive the person? That is so annoying. I remember my wife, man, one of her best friends did the ugly, man, and she told me the story, and I was offended for her at that person. Well, the Lord moved on my wife to forgive her friend 
took her a bouquet of flowers. Her friend just melted right there. They ended up being besties. She ended up being the, in my, the, my wife's bridal shower. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm all bound up with offense for her, and she forgave her. I'm like, no, let's stay bitter together. That's, what, that's what's, that's what's going to make us one, united in bitterness and resentment. It does, it does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one. That is heaven on earth right there. Believe the best of people until they prove to you that they do not have your best interest in mind. In a church environment, in a family environment, among friends, people that, the Bible says that that one who sows strife separates the best of friends. Somebody, Satan does this. He sows seeds in your mind to doubt people's intentions around you. To where people misinterpret what you say and what you write and what you do. Because they're looking through a lens of distrust. Maybe they came by it honestly. But if you live that way, you will misinterpret 99% of what's going on around you. As people that are after you. Hurting you. Out to take from you. Anybody know somebody like that and you see the way that they interpret situations? You're like, I don't think that's what that person meant when they said that. Or when they did that. Oh, yes, they did. Like, I, I think you're all bagged up, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think you're interpreting that properly. And you find out they have bitterness and resentment in their heart. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. <laughs> Look for the best in him. Hopes all things, remaining steadfast different, during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails and never fades nor ends. But as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. For the gifts of special knowledge will all pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. Okay, now I'm going to read verses 10 through 12 to you, and I want you to tell me what you think these next three verses is talking about, okay? Here we go. This is a, a little um, uh, workshop here, little lab. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then, everybody say then, Then. that's the question I'm going to ask you, but then I will know fully just as I've been fully known by God. What is he talking about? When is the then? Heaven, second coming, Holy Spirit. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. He's being, yeah, he, he's being playful. 
he's talking about the return of Christ. He's talking about when Jesus returns or we go to heaven with him, we won't need tongues anymore. We won't need prophecy. We won't need words of wisdom, words of knowledge. We won't need miracles. We won't need healings. We won't need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We won't need it all because we're there. This is the chief text that some people use to say the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Because what they say is when their interpretation of, I even hate saying this to you because I don't want to sow this into your mind, but you need to understand where this foolishness comes from. They say, I want to qualify this again. I don't want to say this, I'm not saying this from arrogance. I'm saying this from frustration. Because I want the entire body of Christ, every Christian, operating in the love of God and the power of God. And that's why James says, don't many of you be many teachers, because yours is the greater judgment. Like teaching somebody that you guys prophesying is from the devil. And then that shapes people's minds and locks them out of part of the kingdom of God and dynamic power in their own life and helping people in their circle of influence by laying hands on the sick and expecting them to get healed. They can't do that if they're taught that God doesn't do that anymore. And it robs people. That's where I'm coming from. So they say that the perfect, when that perfect, that which is perfect comes, they say it's when the Bible was finished. First of all, God does more than what's in the Bible. Right? I mean, is he bigger than the Bible? Yeah. He doesn't do anything that contrary, that's contrary to the Word of God, because God's Word is God's Word, and God's God, and God's Word is Word of God is God's Word, and God is, He'll never con- do things contrary to the Bible. He can do things outside the Bible. He can do, is he allowed to do anything new? No, only what's in the Bible. <laughs> Secondly, Paul didn't know he was writing the Bible. He thought he was writing a letter to the Corinthian church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was later that the church leaders gathered all the letters that were authentic, Holy Spirit-inspired. You can do studies on this and see how they came up with those. And that became the canon of Scripture. It has nothing to do with what Paul was talking about. And now there remains... Faith, abiding trust in God and His promises. Hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation. Love, unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. These three, the choices, graces. But to say this out loud together, but the greatest of these is love. That's why the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit always need to flow together. The fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, temper, self-control. That's the way you behave with others. It's your character. Then you got the, the gifts of the Spirit. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, working to miracles, and gifts of faith, prophecy, right? So you got the supernatural, two wings of the dove, right? you got the supernatural gifts. And then you have character and patience and kindness and humility. They're supposed to go together. And he's given... To us, his church. But this love is a supernatural love. 
It is a love that will enable you to love the most unlovely person in your life. It is a love that will move you to forgive. It's the love of God. It is deliverance for our human hearts. There are times when the Lord's told me to bless a person who hurt me, and I would rather eat a bowl of rocks. Right? Anybody? Huh? Yeah. And yet, when I obeyed and I stepped out and I did something kind to someone who had done something evil to me, I did not realize I was the victim until I took that step and it broke the bitterness in my heart. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm free. I was a slave. You don't realize you're a slave. You know, unforgiveness is the poison you drink hoping the other person will die. So you live in this bitterness and this anger. And you're like, oh, I will never. You're a victim. You're still being controlled by that person. You forgive them. And that's why Jesus says one of the ways to break that is by doing something kind for the person that has done evil. Return good for evil, not evil for evil. When you do that, Jesus is trying to set us free. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, I was a victim. Now, I'm, I'm not a victim anymore. I'm free. The love of God is so powerful. God wants to pour out His love in you and on you and through you. You know, Jesus said that they that believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers. Not, you're not supposed to be a lake. Gimme, give gimme, give my name's Jimmy, right? It's like me, 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 my, 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 God, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? What are my parents going to do for me? What are my children going to do for me? My spouse going to do for me? I'm going to get married so that I'm happy. That's a recipe for complete failure. What's the church done for me lately? Oh. Me, 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 me. Rather than Jesus saying, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. This is a supernatural lifestyle that I'm talking about today. And it's not only available, it's what we're called to. We are called to be filled with the supernatural love of God so that it flows to you, so that it can flow through you to those around you. And the gifts of the Spirit are to ride on that wave of love. Why don't we all stand and let's come to the Lord together this morning. And let's repent of selfishness. Hang on, sister. Hang on. I don't think that was the power of God knocking you over. I think that was your knees just need to get a little, get a little blood flow. She's over here grabbing onto her husband like this. But she was just, her knees just needed a little, just needed a moment. We need to repent of selfishness, repent of pride, greed, covetousness, anything that is holding you back from being used by God in a way that makes your life significant. Look, let me say this to you. If you spend your life, if, you, if your life is all about you, you're going to be a miserable human being. You'll always be thinking about yourself and what has somebody done for me or what hasn't done, somebody has not done for me, done to me or not for me. It's me, 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 me. 
that is not a life of significance. A life of significance comes from what have I done to benefit somebody else, to empower somebody else, to be a blessing to somebody else. If you start thinking that way, God's going to start flowing through you in power. Think about Jesus when his cousin was beheaded. And then he saw the multitude and was moved with compassion and healed the sick. Lord God, let your love flow into us, down upon us, and through us. Just go ahead and raise your hands to him this morning. You online, you need this as well. Just say, Lord, I need your supernatural love to override my humanness, my selfishness, my greed, my covetousness, my lust, my brokenness, my fallenness. Love of God, love of God, love of God, come. Better watch out because he'll do it. It's not just a one-time prayer. We're going to do it together right now. Love of God. Some of you right now need to forgive. you got big rocks and boulders in your river damming it up. God forgave you. You need to forgive them. Right now, just do it. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, love of God, come and give me supernatural power right now to forgive. Now, do that. Holy Spirit, will you come right now and fill up this place with the baptism of the love of Jesus? For I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. For I took a breath, you breathe your 